right. Thank you, Josh, for sharing those things. At this time, we're going to excuse our kindergarten through second grade for Pray City. Kindergartners through second graders will go with their leaders and teachers for a time of special teaching and worship together. And they'll be able, if you're new here and your child is of that age leaving right now, you can certainly feel free to go with them or after the service is over down the hallway to the right is where you can meet them and be able to um, meet up with them after the service. As Josh mentioned, we uh, did kick off our ministry year as we are now in the first week of September, starting officially. Last Sunday was our vision banquet, and we kind of laid out where we're headed this year together as a church body, as a family. And uh, our theme for this year is seeing the gospel advance, advancing the gospel, wanting to see how God will raise us up together as his church to see the gospel further advance, both in our own hearts, wherever we are spiritually, but also in the hearts of those that he's using us to reach out to. Our neighbors, our co-workers, wherever we are in this community uh, that we live in, that we will be used by God to see the gospel advance in others' lives as well. And so we're going to look at this, this subject matter in a real specific way of how the gospel can be advanced and what God calls us to and being part of that Uh, that vision, that purpose for this coming year in the next several weeks as we've already started that and looking at that particular theme. And so today we're focusing in uh, a familiar maybe text or book of the New Testament where the New Testament church as it was being established and God called uh, the apostles and called uh, his church to uh, move out even beyond, of course, where they normally had been into areas that were probably for them very uh, fearful, very um, unsure of what they were doing, and yet God called his church in that way. The book of Acts we're looking at, and we're, lo- we're looking particularly at Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 20. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 20. Listen as I read God's Word. The next day, the rulers, the elders... And the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then confer together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as you have so clearly accounted for how your church not only is established and has been established by your very power and your very spirit, but you are continuing to do so. Father, help us in our own walk with you to understand more deeply, more clearly, even more practically, how day to day we can walk with you and day to day we can help others around us walk with us and you and how we can be used as your vessels, tools in your hands to spread your good news and see your kingdom advanced every day where we live, where we work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you may have a pet, and you all know that our family has a dog. That's it. No more pets, just a dog. I can't take any more than this. That's all I can deal with. But she's a sweet little dog. She's about six or seven years old. Uh, yay high. Actually, very, very short. Um, and Taffy's her name. She's a great dog. And if you come over to our house and visit, you'll see that Taffy um, will definitely greet you at the door, tail wagging and barking and like to be able to connect with whoever comes to the front door, and she'll even get up and her little paws and try to get on in and be a little bit annoying maybe, but finally she calms down and so forth. And she does that with anybody that comes to our house that's new and so forth, and uh, sometimes it's a little embarrassing, but we kind of try to get, get through it every time someone new comes over. And, you know, it's interesting. She always greets everyone in, the, in those manners and so forth, but when I come home, it's very different. When I come home, she will not stop barking until I stop in front of her and she sits, and then I go, go. And she gets a, a little running start and jumps right up to my chest from real low, and she loves me just to hold her and sits up like a parrot on my shoulder. And then I hold her there for a little while until she finally, okay, calm down, you're here, everything, life is good, uh, you're ma my master's home, and it's all good. Except when? And this is like every single time this happened, it's uncanny. It's, of course, the way God made a dog, I guess, with her nose and the scent. Anytime I happen to be in a situation where I have another dog or another animal, particularly, you know, where I've either petted that dog, been to someone's house, or, or a cat or some other animal, and then I come home, and that scent, which it can be there for a long time, she will run up to me and then stop. And then she starts just sniffing my legs. And she doesn't bark. She doesn't do her regular routine. She just starts sniffing and sniffing. And she won't stop because something's different about me. And she's like, okay, where have, where have you been? Who have you been with? You've been unfaithful to me today, it seems, or something. It's just odd how she reacts that way. And she constantly is very inquisitive about what's been happening. It's almost, she could, it's almost like she would look at me and say, who have you been with? You know, uh, in a very 
simple way, uh, the question that I like for you and I to consider today is the question that I think was very obvious to those who were with Peter and John as they were establishing the church. The question is, who had Peter and John been with to have made such a difference in Acts chapter 4? Who had Peter and John been with? Well, you see, the context here of Acts chapter 4 is that they had been proclaiming the good news and had come across, as they were going to worship one day, someone who was known by the community as being lame, someone who everyone knew was kind of there begging for anything that that this person could get just because that's the only means they had to sustain themselves. And as as they were going to the temple, as they were going to worship their own God, they look and see this one who is in need. And instead of just ignoring and moving on, they said, you know, riches and money, I, I have none, but what I have, I will give you. And they gave him the power of God's Spirit. They gave him the good news. And God used those two men to minister to this lame one and then in the power that God gave through them, he was raised up and healed. He was healed. Well, because this happened and so many saw the event, Peter and John were cast into jail. They were put in prison because of this act of a miracle, which this brings us to then where we are in chapter 4. They were there in jail, and the rulers, the elders and the teachers, called them to be retrieved and to come before them. In essence, what was happening is that they were being kind of called before a trial. They were going to be investigated about what they had done and what was happening. And so here they are being called by those in authority, particularly the religious leaders that were there with them. And as they come to have this encounter, we see the response that they give. First of all, the question I want to ask is, what should we expect, like Peter and John? What should you and I expect as we see the gospel advancing? If the gospel is going to advance in us and through us, what should we expect? Because everyone has an expectation about that question. You know, the gospel is going to advance. Okay, well, what should I expect this year, Mike, in my life? What should we expect if it's going to really happen in and through me this year? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Verse 7, it says that Peter and John were brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? They were brought before them having been brought out of jail, imprisoned and being brought up by uh, an investigation. You see, Peter and John were basically being persecuted for spreading the good news and acting with the power that God gave through them to heal others. Peter and John were 
suffering. Peter and John were placed in a position of being accused of things that they had never done. They were being accused, I'm sure, of probably things like similar to treason or going against the authority of the Roman government or any of all types of things where they had done nothing at all like that, and they were going to be investigated. By who? Who was investigating them? Well, particularly the group called the Sadducees. There's a group called the Pharisees as well in the New Testament, but the Sadducees and the Pharisees are very different from one another, though similar in some ways. They were both religious sects, religious leaders of their particular communities. The Sadducees, though, were more of the liberal elite, okay? More the liberal elite religious sect. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead or the afterlife or looking for the Messiah. But they focused themselves on cooperating with the Roman government and all the well-doing they could do in this life. Whereas the Pharisees were very conservative. They were very conservative and they were very zealot for their own faith. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in the afterlife and the Messiah and looked for the Messiah to come. And they did not like cooperating with the Roman government. And so you had the liberal elites and you had the conservative religious zealots, these two groups. And they were very different, and yet the Sadducees particularly, the Sanhedrin, they were coming here against Peter and John. You know, Peter and John give us a glimpse as to what we should expect, which is, if you and I are truly, with our hearts, seeking to see the gospel go forward in our own life, in our families, in our marriages, with our children, with all that we are, and we seek to want to spread that good news to those around us where we are who do not know the Lord in their life? Well, like Peter and John, we should expect some pushback. We should expect confrontation, maybe. We should expect struggle in some ways at times. We should expect hardships, possibly, to be the result of those very intentional efforts. We should expect those things. In fact, Jesus told us himself to expect those things. John chapter 15, Jesus told the apostles, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Very clear. Jesus was telling them 2,000 years ago, and those words are still true. Jesus says, if you're with me, expect this will happen. Paul said the same thing to Timothy, his uh, understudy, young pastor preparing for the ministry. He said Paul I mean, to Timothy, Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you desire to live out the gospel in your life, to live a life that honoring to the Lord, serving Him, loving Him with a heart that truly wants to follow and serve Him, whatever you're doing in your life, if you're in government work, if you're in the private sector and you're in the corporate world, wherever you are, if you really desire and you're seeking to follow Him in that way, 
expect there is going to be struggle. There's going to be hardship. There will be in this world. Conflict, trouble, problems, all will come to those who do seek to advance the gospel in their life and the lives of others. In fact, think about it. Of course it's going to happen. Why? Because we're seeking to be used of God and with Him to see the advancement of His kingdom. And there is someone who absolutely desires that that would never happen. Right? You know who I'm talking about. The evil one. The tempter. Satan himself desires nothing at all for that to have one little inch of movement. That the kingdom would actually be destroyed. The kingdom would actually be removed. It would be placed somewhere where no one would ever hear or see of it again. That's his desire, so he will do anything and everything, anything and everything he possibly can. I know this personally. I'm sure you do too. To take you out with one swing, with one effort, he will do it. And it won't necessarily be a frontal attack. It's not going to be like The Exorcist, the old movie when I was in high school. You know, you're not going to have someone walk in your room and have their head spin around. I don't think. Instead, it will be in very scheming, very covert, very unexpected ways that he will try to destroy the kingdom, the gospel being moved forward. That's how he works. He is a schemer. He is a conniver. But he's never to be underestimated. He will seek to discourage you. He will seek to twist what is truly real and truthful that is of God himself and he will seek to make you believe something completely opposite. He will seek to give you ideas and thoughts of what you perceive to be reality when in actuality it is not reality as God would want you to know and to trust. That's how he works. Since I've been back from my time away this summer, In 13 years of pastoring Christ Community Church, I have never felt the power of the evil one like I have in the past month. God's at work, but you need to know that Satan is trying his hardest to take me out and a lot of other things. So you need to be in prayer. Satan's schemes are dangerous. He'll cast fear. He'll cast fear in a, in a child's heart, a child of God, <clears throat> a son or a daughter. He will call us to be challenged with those things that we often struggle with. 
You know, you think about the early church, the early church, and you must often think, well, they were persecuted, I believe. From what I understand, the early church, from the government or other, other particular perspectives, they were either in the catacombs or they were underground or maybe they, you picture those in the early church huddling in places where there was only worship or, or Bible study or, or, or gathering together in a can, by candlelight. And that's how you picture the early church. They couldn't speak of the name of Christ because of the dangers that were upon them. And certainly there was persecution. Certainly those, those things were a very real uh, environment for the early church. However, there are descriptions of the early church in the book of Acts that are also very different from what I just described. Correct? You've read the book of Acts possibly. You know what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 2, 46 to 47, it says, And they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And what does it say? Enjoying the favor of all the people. Enjoying the favor of all the people. That's kind of not huddled in a dark underground basement with a candlelight. That's enjoying the favor of all the people. You see, there are times where God's people are persecuted and in hardship. But there also are times where God richly blesses his kingdom, his church on earth, and they enjoy the favor of the people in this world that God has given the church to exist within and among. The early believers both experienced persecution and praise. It was a both and. Now think about it with me. On one hand, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer here today in this service, and you never experience any struggle in your life really, or any pushback, or any attacks upon you for your faith, then you might want to say, hmm, I might need to take a second look as to why that is in my life. You might want to reassess and do some self-evaluation. Ask the Lord to help you understand your courage in your faith. Do you have boldness in your faith? Are you seeking to grow in courage and boldness and your witness of the one you worship and claim to serve and follow? You have to, you have to do that assessment. If there's never any struggle in your, in your walk with the Lord because of your faith, I would certainly take some time and assess. On the other hand, on the other hand, because there's always two hands, right? On the other hand, if you only experience persecution without any fruitfulness, only those who come at you without any affirmation at all in your life, you might want to ask and do a self-assessment, Lord, why is that? I only seem to encounter struggle and dis discord and problems, both inside and outside the church, but I'm living for you, Jesus. You might want to ask yourself, why is that? If you constantly feel like there's never any affirmation, but only hardship in your life as a follower of Christ. You see, it might be your own insensitivities to others. It might be your own 
struggle in disrespecting others or not being as kind to others as possibly you could be. You might want to take an assessment. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 these words, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of, not because they were disrespectful, not because they were insensitive to someone, but because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, there's a reason for persecution to happen. This week, I was reading some thoughts from uh, Dr. Tim Keller about this passage, and he provided some of these thoughts I thought were helpful. Though these things, not in an absolute sense, but generally speaking, as he described it, he's, he, he said these things. Insensitive believers, those I just described, will often have, will have persecution, but probably no praise in their life. He said cowardly believers, though, those who truly do not stand up for what they say they believe, will have praise or ease, but no hardship or persecution. And then he goes on, he says, most believers will have neither. What? Most believers will have neither persecution or affirmation. Why? Because most likely they really don't walk close with Jesus anyway. And so if you're not really walking close with Jesus, you're just kind of in a neutral, you know, yeah, Jesus, absolutely, and I go to church, but, you know, I've got my life, I've got to live. Well, you're not going to be on one end of the spectrum or the other anyway, he says. And he says a lot of Christians, particularly in the Western world where we live, in the United States, that's where many Christians live, in neither camp. He said, but those who walk close with Jesus will have both hardship and affirmation. We're going to experience both in our life. Um, And so did those who went before us. So did those in this passage, Peter and John. What should we expect as we see the gospel advance? We should expect hardship. We should expect struggle and conflict. But also we should expect enjoying what God's blessing also provides at times through his work and his kingdom being advanced. The next question I want to ask, and the final one is this, where does the power to advance the gospel come from? As Peter and John were speaking there to the religious leaders, the actual interrogation of the miracle that they had been used by God to perform, the question is, where did that power come from? Well, In verse 8 it says, and then Peter was filled, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. So that's a pretty obvious uh, place where we go first. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is where God's power flows. The Holy Spirit's power is in us. We have that. I mean, if you could measure the power of God in maybe metric tons of TNT, it's, you can't measure it. It's just beyond measure. And it's contained within every believer. It's within you and me. The presence of the Holy Spirit, if we truly are the Lord's, is there. That very power is in us. Acts chapter 1, just three chapters earlier, 
Jesus was speaking as he was about ready to ascend, and he gave these final thoughts. He says, but you, my brothers and sisters, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses, but you'll be my witnesses by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and through you. And so the power to advance the gospel obviously comes from having the Holy Spirit within us. We must be drawing upon the Spirit. How many times this week did any of you pray, Holy Spirit, please come in power in my life? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. We need to be asking God that His Spirit would grow in power in us and through us. That we would be praying, God, what demonstrations would your Spirit give me this very day that I might see your power at work? And then be watching and waiting, looking and seeing. Last week, I was here after the service. Everyone was wrapping things up. We went out, and I was one of the last ones out, and they locked up, and I drove off, and I forgot something. Well, fortunately, I, I have an extra key, and so I came back. I, no one was here at that point. It was already, everybody had left. And I opened the door, I went in, and I got something, and I went back out, and I just felt a real sense. I mean, usually I would just walk out the door. And I know this is going to sound woo to you all, but don't, don't, you know, okay, just calm down. Easy. I walked out, and I just, something stopped me. I was fairly drained. So I just stopped, and I sat down in the lobby. No one's in the building. And I'm just listening, talking to the Lord. And then I hear somebody coming through those double doors. I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, what, what, who is that? Because, I mean, I didn't think anybody was in the building. It was empty. And I thought, oh, great, we've left someone in here. There's someone in here. Because this, this place all has people going all the time. But then walks out one of the staff workers in the lobby, who I know. And I said, hey, how's it going? Started talking and just chit-chatting about whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, well. Well, I'll just talk to this person here. I mean, obviously. And then I asked a couple of questions about his family. And then he began to unburden all that was going on. And it was quite a burden. So I said, hey, can I pray for you right now? He said, well, sure. Totally unexpected. I mean, I am pastor, but still... He was like, didn't expect, because I had never, I've seen him here for years, but never really talked to him. I did Sunday. Friday night, the North Cobb game, I'm the chaplain for the team, and I was on the sidelines, and all of a sudden, uh, before the game's about ready to start, I'm out there, and I'm kind of hanging out, waiting for the team to bust through the big thing, whatever, and everybody starts screaming, going crazy. And there's one particular gentleman that's kind of a volunteer help coach around there, been there for years, and I've seen him around and so forth, and he's, he's had all kinds of health issues. And so we're talking. I said, how's the back? Oh, well, you know, going well. And he looks at me and he goes, I have a really big favor to ask you. And I said, what is it? He's never, never done this before. I said, what is it? He goes, would you pray for my dad? I think he only has a few days left to live. He has cancer, and there's nothing they could do. I said, let me pray for you right now. Put my arm around his shoulders, and we're talking. The band's going crazy, everything's, and I, it's just completely, he and I just stand right there on the sidelines of the 50-yard line 
and I'm just praying for him and his dad. And he's standing there weeping. He's weeping in the midst of chaos. We have to be looking for opportunities to love others, to serve them, to pray with them. You pray for somebody and they'll receive it. God will give us the insight. He'll give us the power. He'll give us the understanding. We have to be willing. The Sadducees ask a question, or they made a, they made a statement in verse 13. So very important. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized, it says in verse 13, that they were, what? Unschooled, ordinary men. They were unschooled, ordinary men. You see, the upper class in that day, and it's actually probably even true today, the liberal elite especially, but the upper educated class of society put a great amount of weight on degrees and credentials because they themselves have put a great effort into going to the right schools and getting the right credentials. And that's the way it works in our world, right? Yes. How many of you are trying so hard to get into the right college or the right program or the right degree so you can get the right job and now everything is just, you line it up and it's going to fit. It's going to work. You're going to set yourself up for your life that way. That's what we all try to do, it seems, and we try to do that for our children. Nothing wrong with that, but there's a mindset that we have to be careful as we go about that particular journey. Educated class puts so much weight on that. But for the working class and the masses, these type of things are really not as important. They're just not in their particular understanding. So here's a, a, a conclusion we must be careful to realize. In the gospel, and seeing in advance and the kingdom move forward, a person's education, background, or pedigree are not requirements for being useful in kingdom work. They can be used by God. He uses them. But they're not a requirement. So if you're here today and all you have is a GED, you are just as viable to be used by Jesus as anybody with a PhD from a seminary. I didn't say it. They said it. You are. You're just as viable. God uses you, can use you in ways as anyone else with degrees and certifications and credentials. You see, it's less about us and it's more about him. That's really what it is. No matter what you're doing in your life, it's less about me and it's more about him. I'm sure the Sadducee was thinking in his mind, how could a common, uneducated fisherman stand down the equivalent in their day of the Supreme Court? That's what he did here. How could he do that? Because God himself was speaking in him and through him. If you go back to even John chapter 7, when Jesus was teaching at the Jewish festival of tabernacles while the Jewish leaders were watching him teach, it says this, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and they asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? They asked the same question about Jesus. He was a carpenter's son. 
How could this man have such learned abilities and teach with such power and courage and authority and knowledge? How can this be? You see, that's the person that Peter and John had been with, the one in John 7. They'd been with Jesus, and they took note of it, it says in verse 13. Peter and John, yes, they were unschooled, unlearned, but it said they noted And they took notice that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. Time and time again, Peter and John were with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, observing him. They were imprinted with his thoughts, his desires, his words. Everything about Jesus they received that he gave to them because they had been with him. See, the power of seeing the gospel advance does not come from being, and this is, this is what's, you got to think about this. We think, well, if I want to see the gospel advance and the kingdom move forward, then I need to spend time with others who need to hear and, and, and receive the gospel. Yes, but the power of the advancement of the gospel does not happen by being with others. It happens by being with Jesus. You see? Yes, we need to be with others because God uses us as tools in his hands But if we just go do that and we're not with Jesus, this is of naught. This is useless because it's powerless and it's our own strength. But you you spend time with Jesus in his word and in prayer and communing with him and knowing what his thoughts are, what his desires are, what he wants you to do here and there and throughout the day and throughout the week and the month and the year and the years, you are going with him. You see, it's not, advancing the gospel is not doing it for God. It's doing it with him. You can't do it any other way. They had been with Jesus. Who would others say you've been with by noticing and taking note of your life? Who would others say who you've been with if they could say, People who know you well, people who observe your life, if I asked them, who has that person been with to be like that, what would they say? Would they say, well, they've been with Fox News, they've been with WSB talk radio a lot. Um, I mean, what would they really say? Uh Uh-oh, I've gone from preaching to meddling now. I'm sorry. Didn't mean to do that. You know, some of us talk, sound, and act more like Rush Limbaugh, Neil Bortz, and Eric Erickson than we actually do Jesus. It's true. And we need to think about that. Nothing wrong with those people, and I'm not political here, but Jesus is the one that people are going to take notice of if we spend time with him. Everything else will burn. This is where we need to be with Jesus. When you spend time with him, you have courage and boldness you didn't have before. You will. Look at verses 9 through 12. They had courage and boldness. They spoke in a manner that rang with authority and the power that God was speaking through them with Peter spoke with the confidence that even the rulers and all that were around 
recognize as being something that shouldn't be there for someone like Peter, a fisherman. It's very likely that even Peter and John remembered Jesus' words to him when he gave them, that is, Peter and John and the other apostles, the authority to drive out spirits and heal sicknesses as they did with this lame man. Back in Matthew 10, Jesus was speaking to the disciples, and he told them these things that I'm sure Peter and John were remembering when they were in this situation in Acts. Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he says this to us right now. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils, and you'll be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you'll say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. They had to, they had to come back to their mind. Jesus told them it was going to happen. It's happened. They're there. And he's saying, I'm here with you. Don't allow, don't allow fear or concern about what might happen if you're in a certain situation. Be bold. Jesus says this to you. When you get there, I'm there. I will be with you, and I'll give you the words to say. If you're in school, college, high school, middle school, whatever grade, don't be afraid to speak your faith. Be bold. Be courageous to those that are your peers Don't be afraid of letting people know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. He's with you. He's with you, and he will be there and give you the words to say. When you spend time with Jesus, boldness and courage comes. Also, you take risks. Peter and John, they were in prison, right? And they were brought out before the court in an investigation, If I were Peter and John, this would be the time I'd probably just stand there, be respectful, and do what they want me to do so I can get out of the trouble that I've got myself in. I would, logically. I mean, whenever you get in trouble, I mean, when you get pulled over and you see the blue lights because you were going a little bit too fast, you don't just roll the window down and go, what do you want? That's just not what you do. You don't poke a nest of a hive of bees You just go, yes, officer, yes, sir. I realize that. I I apologize. I mean, that's, that's what you do when you're in those positions. They didn't do that, did they? They, they said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ that we stand here, the one who has the power, and no other name shall be saved. That's what they did. They took risks. And lastly, When you spend time with Jesus, you can't help but letting others know about it. In verse 20, Peter and John, they replied and they said, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help it. Is that where you are? You just can't help but talk about them. You just can't help but tell someone else about the one that you spent time with. That's where they were, and that's where he calls us to be.